All right. Good morning, Wellspring Church. Anybody excited to be here this morning? I think we're all feeling a little bit still like turkey, you know, all that stuff. Like I'm much heavier than I was on Wednesday. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. So before we get rolling, let's just pray together this morning. So Jesus, we just thank you so much. We thank you for this opportunity to be here in this place, um, to hear from you, Lord. We know that we need you. We, we want to know you more. We want to engage with you. Lord, as we seek to do this this morning, I pray that you would help us. We know that we, we are not God and we cannot be God. So we need your help to, to learn how to let you be God of our lives, to learn how to engage with you on your terms. So as we, we seek to do that, God, I pray that you would use me as your mouthpiece this morning, that I would not be seen, known, or heard, but only you, Lord. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So Thanksgiving, right? Holidays. Holidays can be really hard. Holidays can be really great. It's fun to get together as family, but family can be tough, right? If we can all relate. Can family be hard? A little bit challenging, a little bit tough. And part, I think part of the reason for that is because family gets a little bit too comfortable. So, you know, you have, like, if you invite a stranger into your house or you're going to somebody's house for the first time, most of the time we're, like, on our best behavior, right? We're, like, going to, you know, clean up after ourselves. We'll take our shoes off at the front door. Like, we'll kind of do all the things you're supposed to do when you go to somebody's house for the first time. Well, when you have your family over for dinner, what are they doing? They're putting their nasty, stinky feet on your brand-new coffee table right next to the hors d'oeuvres. They eat way too much food and they leave a big mess at your table just because they can, because they're family, because they're a little bit too comfortable. Another reason why holidays can be hard on a little bit more of a serious note is that many of us have lost people, right? Many of us have had hard family relationships. Maybe we're distant from family and not getting together with family for one reason or another. So holidays can be really, really tough for a lot of reasons. And again, one of the reasons kind of on the funnier note is I think families just get a little bit too comfortable. Another reason why relationships can be hard is sometimes expectations are different. Like what you expect, you know, you ever seen those like expectation versus reality type meme kind of things. So um, when Krista and I first started like hanging out, we weren't officially dating yet. Um, Krista's my wife. She's in the front with the big hat. Um, so, <laughs> so when we first started hanging out, we, you know, we were like hanging out a lot, like almost every day. We weren't dating yet. We weren't officially dating. So I wanted to like, you know, get into that, like define the relationship kind of conversation, like this DTR kind of thing. You ever have one of those? Everybody, money, um, So, uh, and, you know, for some people, those go really well. Uh, any guys in the room, not great communicators? Am I in good company? Okay, so, you know, so a lot of times as guys, we think we have an idea of what we want to say. And then we say, and we feel really good, right? We're like, yeah, I communicated so good. I did great. So I wanted to have this define the relationship. I thought Krista was cute. I was like, yeah, I could kind of see this going somewhere. We'll see what happens. So I tried to communicate that. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but it must have been something like we shouldn't keep hanging out unless we're dating. Or it was like something, I don't know, probably something weird like that. Because I thought that I communicated, I really like you and I think you're great. And she responded with something like, Okay, well, like, I guess if you don't want to hang out anymore, and I was like, something, something is missing. Like, something went wrong because I tried to say that I like you, and you th heard that I don't want to hang out with you. So I don't, so eventually we worked it out. We've now been married for eight years, so all is well and good in the world. <laughs> so it all worked out. I got the girl. Everything's great. But in the beginning, it was off to a little bit of a rough start. 
So to turn the corner a little bit, so like in our relationship with God, right, sometimes, I don't know if you've had this experience, maybe in the past or the present, or maybe at some point you will, that, that you get a little bit too comfortable in your relationship with God. We should be comfortable. He's our Lord and Savior. He's our friend. He's our, he's our go-to. He's our support. But, but there is a point where we can get too comfortable, where we can take him for granted, where we can say, God, you know, like, yeah, I read the Bible last week, and we hung out last week, so like, you're good. I'm going to go do my own thing now. Like, you know, we kind of we take for granted because you get a little bit too comfortable. You put your nasty feet on God's coffee table. You know, like you do things that, that you wouldn't do in the beginning. You know, like if you if you have a relationship with God or you know someone who does, like so often at the beginning, you're fired up. You're ready to go. You're excited because Jesus saved you and everything's great. But over time, that excitement, if you don't, if you don't continue to stay connected to that source, that excitement can, can kind of wear off. Or like my, my tacky define the relationship story of me failing miserably at that process. Uh, maybe you've had an experience where you try to define your relationship with God or you allow somebody else's ideas to define your relationship with God. Or maybe it's like you saw some post on social media and you're like, yeah, that kind of makes sense of, of what my relationship with God should be or should look like. Um, so, so again, so today we're in the table talk thing. We're talking about our values. So our values as a church, we have five of them that, that we believe every single Christian should value. And that's why we as a church value them and, and discuss them each week um, in and out. So, so we're diving really deep into these. So the first one that we're going to cover is to engage with God. The, the, the order that these are in is intentional. The first thing we should be doing is engaging with God. Before we do anything else, our relationship with God should come first and foremost. So, so one of the questions that we like to ask ourselves is, how did I spend time with God this week? It's very simple. How did I spend time with God this week? And the, if the answer is I didn't, well, if you're a Christian and you didn't, then that's kind of the wrong, the wrong answer. <laughs> and, and we'll get more into that too. So, so today what we're going to be discussing is, is first and foremost is that God is worthy of our engagement. Amen. Is God worthy of our engagement? He deserves, he's deserving of our time. And we'll get into to many of the reasons why that is. And, and so before we go any further, let's clarify this. We get to, okay? We don't have to. Nobody's going to force you. I'm not going to show up at your house at 6 a.m. and tell you to, to you know, put your, your big boy or girl panties on and, and wake up early so you can pray. That's not happening. You, but you get to, okay? You get to pray. We get to read our Bibles. We get to engage with God. Jesus has given us access directly to God, and we get to do that. So coming from a place of gratitude, we're entering into this situation where we're going to allow Jesus to define the relationship. So we're reading in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Uh, it should be behind me on the screen. It should be in the Wellspring app or the Bible app, or if you um, look in any search engine and type in Matthew 6 ESV, that will come up. And so we'll start in, uh, in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. So it starts with this. And when, pay attention to this, when, that word when, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. So I already emphasized it a little bit, but in verses 5, 6, and 7, so, so Jesus is talking, and he, he says three sentences in a row, and all three of the sentences start with the 
this phrase, when you pray. When you pray and when you pray. The operating assumption is that the disciples of Jesus will be people of prayer. And so if we call ourselves disciples, we should then be people of prayer. So that, that's kind of the, the starting point, the operating assumption. And, and so, okay, so then he says, don't be like the hypocrites. They stand out in public. They use fancy words. They've already received their reward. You know what their reward is? Being noticed. That's what they wanted. That's what they received. They wanted to be noticed, and they got what they wanted. But when you pray, Jesus says, go into a quiet place, into a secret place where it's just you and God, where it's just that, that private moment. And so it's important to say this, right? Because Nicole was up here leading worship, doing a great job, and she prayed. And before I started preaching, I prayed. Because Jesus says, don't stand up and pray. So I just want to be clear. Like, I don't think I'm sinning by praying in front of you. But it depends on your heart and it depends on your intentions. If I'm up here praying for 40 minutes because I want you to think that I'm some holy roller kind of person or I want you to think, oh, God and I are so close. Like I want to if I'm trying to impress you here listening with my prayer, then I'm starting from the wrong place. I'm starting from the absolute wrong place. The, the focus should be uh, me and God. And if there's others around, that's okay too. When I started preaching today, I prayed, but my prayer is, God, use me as your mouthpiece. My prayer was more for my own heart than it was for you listening. And of course, you're, you're here listening, so you heard it. But, but it's more for my own self. Because what he says is, that they may be seen by others. So it's, it's like the point of what they're doing is to be seen. The point of what they're doing isn't really to engage with God. They're, they're doing it. Ultimately, their intentions are selfish and hypocritical because they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And they're doing something that should be for God and for our holiness, but in a manner that's prideful and arrogant and selfish. So when we pray, again, when, it's not a matter of if, it's not about privacy, but it is about intention. Don't pray in front of other people because you think that they'll like you or you think that they'll think highly of you or you think that, you know, you want them to, you know, like, oh, wow, I'm going to use these, like, big Christian words from the Bible and then everyone's going to think I'm super smart and everyone's going to think I'm great. You know, like, that, you're starting from the wrong spot. Like, there's no, in prayer, there's nobody to impress because God already loves you even though he sees all of your mess. So it's completely about intention when it comes to prayer. But, but again, the operating assumption is we should be people of prayer. We should be people who invest our time into prayer because Jesus says three times when you pray. So, so that's where we're starting from, that, that Jesus is assuming that we are people who are going to engage with God. Jesus is assuming that we are going to be people who are going to invest our time into our relationship with God. And where it starts is, so our main point, like I said, is, is um, that God is worthy of our engagement. And as we pray, because we are going to pray, and as we pray, we're going to check our hearts. We're going to look into our intentions. And if our intention is to get someone, other, someone else's attention, then check your heart. Don't even say anything out loud. Just, just say, say to yourself, God, this is for you. I'm, I want to be heard by you, God, because you want to listen to me. I don't care if someone else sees me or listens to what I have to say. So he continues in, in verse 9 of chapter 6 and says, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he says, pray like this. And there's a couple things you could take that as. One is pray like this. Say the words that I'm about to say. When you do this, do it like this. So, so a lot of times in church circles, people will say the Our Father prayer. 
You know, I grew up in church. Many of us did. And, and we, we could be familiar with that. Our Father who art in heaven. You know, like we we familiar with that. We've kind of memorized that and have it in our brain. And that's great. If that's a way for you to connect with God, that's a good thing. Another way you could take it, which is how we'll unpack our time today, is, is pray then like this. So sort of like this is the example. This is a blueprint. This is kind of the idea that we're working off of. These are some basic principles that you could apply when you're, when you're taking time to pray. Um, and and so, so we'll kind of dive in like that. So what's interesting to me, it's super ironic, and I think Jesus is a funny teacher in a lot of ways because he says, it's kind of like reprimanding, like, don't pray in front of people. Go into your room and, and don't say too many words. But like, it's like, and if you only read verses 5 through 8, you would be inspired and encouraged towards a very privatized faith. I need to go into my room. It's between me and God and nobody else, and that's it. If the only verses of the Bible you ever read was verses 5 through 8 of Matthew chapter 6, that would be your faith. However, he starts this, pray then like this. So the first thing, five through eight, is pray in your room by yourself and don't tell anybody. But it starts with our father. Well, if I'm praying in my room by myself, then why am I saying our father? But, so it's kind of an interesting thing because I think he encourages us to check our hearts that we're not doing it to be seen by others. But I think there is an implied communal aspect of our relationship with God. There's an implied communal aspect that our father, that we are together a people of prayer. It isn't just my own individualized, privatized faith or relationship with God. So I think there's sort of an irony there that... that that kind of stuck out to me, like, pray in your room by yourself, but start with our. Like, okay, well, all right, Jesus, whatever you say. So, so yeah, but it's cool because it, it gets us all to a place of realizing we're doing this for God, right? Well, I'm not doing this for you or you or you or you. Like, I'm doing this for him, and we can do it together, but I'm doing it for him. Um, so he says, our Father in heaven puts God in his, in his place and puts us in ours. We're much far below heaven, and he's far above us. God is greater than us. It says, hallowed be your name, greatly revered and honored. So we're praising God in, in heaven. We're, we're kind of standing in like reverent praise, like, Lord, you are so good. You are so much bigger than me. And it's kind of a respect thing, too, like when you're talking to someone, I would say, like, good morning, Julio. Like, I wouldn't just dive right into, like, all right, so today we're going to do this. You know, like, you kind of, in a conversation, and that's what prayer is supposed to be, is a conversation. So in a conversation, you address the person you're talking to. Our Father in heaven, we praise your name. And what I love about the starting here and putting God in his place and us in ours is it kind of humbles us. Because if we look at our world, you look at an organization, right? You have the CEO at the top and you have like the, the entry level worker at the bottom. And, and we can see it like this. And if you enter into that organization, you got to start in your bottom and work your way up. But, but so this is the world. But when it comes to us and God, we're all right here. Okay, we're all right here because there's no one in this room and no one in this world that is God. And even the person who, like Mother Teresa might be here and I might be down here, but God's still way up here. So like there's no person that's that much closer. So our Father in heaven puts him in our place. And I think it humbles us and puts us into ours. So our main point is that God is worthy of our engagement. And that's so important that we understand his worthiness of our engagement and the fact that he desires us as well and deserves it as well. So, so we've so far covered that as we pray, we check our hearts. And as we praise God, we also humble ourselves. We'll continue in verse 10. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So a kingdom says your kingdom come, right? So a kingdom essentially is this. There's a king who makes all of the important decisions and everyone follows them 
or they will receive significant consequence, right? So the king is in charge. The king gets to decide how do we use our resources? The king gets to decide where do we or do we not expand? Where, you know, what do we cut? What do we give? What do we do? And so we kind of have a couple choices. So I can be the king of my life. You can be the king of your life. You can decide how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your resources, where you give your heart to, how you view other people in relationships, or you can allow God to define that. You can allow the God to be the king of your heart and the king of your life. And if we're, so we're praying your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then what we're saying is I'm going to put my kingdom to the side and invest into your kingdom. And and I'll tell you this, that investing into our kingdom is fine. That's a choice you have. You can make that. It's temporary and it will always fail you in some way, shape or form. Investing into God's kingdom is eternal and will last forever. So as a couple examples, anyone who knows me and kind of my story, if you've been around a while, um, and when I've preached before, I've kind of touched on some of these things. So um, just kind of quick hit a couple kind of tragic moments in my life or, or hard experiences in my life that have sort of shaped some things about me and things like that. In 2013, Krista and I were engaged. Um, it was an exciting time in my life, but also this was the time where her grandma passed away, and very shortly after that, my dad passed away. And so... Um, So yeah, just this like really difficult, like it was like so exciting, but so challenging. Um, Then you fast forward, 2013, fast forward to January 1st of 2018. We would go to a friend's house for um, for New Year's Year's Day to get dinner. We come home, open our front door. We have our like one-year-old child with us. And it sounds like the water is running because a pipe burst in our house and completely destroyed our entire house. Um, So those are just kind of two examples, two real life examples from my life of like, areas where I invested of my resources, right? Like I invested my time and my, my resources and my relationship with my father who is no longer here. And I invested my resources into a house that got destroyed. You know, we worked hard to get that house and maintain that house and, and all that stuff, all the time and the money and the energy. So we put a lot into things, and not, not that any of those things are bad, like those are good things in their place. And we put a lot into those things, but we quickly realized that those things are going to fall. Those things are going to fail. Those things are going to disintegrate with time. And so if we invest our resources, if we invest our time to engage with God, this is a relationship that is eternal. This is not a relationship that will ever come to an end. Um, and But there is a, an element here of like, you have to be the one to actually invest, and I have to be the one to actually invest. God is giving you this resource of prayer and this resource of direct access to him. But, but there, is, there is a part for us to, to play to actually make this come to be. So what I would say is that so, so far we've covered that as we pray, we check our hearts, that, that as we praise God, we humble ourselves. And as we ask for his kingdom and his will, well, if he's going to be king, then guess what? If, if he's the king of my life, then I need to not be. So we need to commit to being kingdom builders as in God's kingdom and not my own. God's kingdom and not mine. So it continues in verse 11, which says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread is verse 11. So give us this day. We're asking for today, not for tomorrow, the next day or the next 20 years. And we're asking for daily bread. Now, if we look at bread, it's kind of a staple item, right? It's not an exciting thing. It's not a sexy thing. It's not the thing that goes first on the, on the Thanksgiving table because no one, like, it's bread, right? Like, it's just bread. Like, you, if you put something else on it, it's all right. But just bread for bread's sake isn't that great. But it is something that we need to sustain our lives. 
And so what I see Jesus unpacking here is give us what I need for today. It's not a matter of give me what I want. He doesn't say, like, give us this day our daily steak and our dessert and our five-course meal. It's like, no, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need for today. If you're taking notes, um, Exodus chapter 16 is a passage that I would encourage you to look over throughout the course of this week. Um, I think Jesus is sort of alluding to that where manna comes down from heaven and the Israelites have to go out and collect it. And that's how they get their daily needs met. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have enough time to get through that whole story and and unpack all the the implications of that. But, But again, so there's this idea that they had to get out and go out and get it, right? The bread was there. The manna was there from heaven, but if they didn't go out and collect it and they just sat down in their chair, they still would starve. God gave the opportunity, but they had to do their part. So as we ask for our daily needs to be met, I think another aspect of this has to be, God, you met my needs yesterday and the day before and the day before. So I thank you for that. And I'm going to ask that you continue to meet my, my need today. I think there should be an implied gratitude in our life of prayer that we thank God We recently prayed that our daughter wouldn't need surgery, and now she doesn't. So we praise God for that, right? We we can't just we can't just keep going like, oh, good thing happened. Keep going, keep going. You gotta stop and pause and say, wow, like like a wow God moment. Like we asked you for this, and then you did it. Thank you. We asked for our daily needs to be met, and I'm still alive today, so my daily needs have been met for the last 32 years. So thank you for that. But again, there is, a, there is an element of personal responsibility here that, that it's not just on God for all of this to happen, that, that our part is, is present too. So there's this, um, this fictional story, fictional, but uh, I think it does paint a picture of, of where our part intersects with what God's part is. So, um, so it says, a fellow was stuck on his rooftop in a flood. He was praying to God for help. Soon a man in a rowboat came and came by, and the fellow shouted to the man on the roof, jump in, I can save you. The stranded fellow shouted back, no, it's okay. I'm praying to God, and he is going to save me. So the rowboat went on. Then a motorboat came by. The fellow in the motorboat shouted, jump in, I can save you. To this, the stranded man said, no thanks, I'm praying to God and he's going to save me, I have faith. So the motorboat went on. Then a helicopter came by and the pilot shouted down, grab this rope and I will lift you to safety. To this, the stranded man again replied, no thanks, I'm praying to God and he's going to save me, I have faith. So the helicopter reluctantly flew away. Soon the water rose and flooded the rooftop and the man was drowned. He then goes to heaven and has an opportunity to ask God about what happened in this situation. He exclaims to God, I had faith in you, but you didn't save me. You let me down, and I don't understand why. And and listen to God's reply in this fictitious but helpful story here. To this, God replies to this man's anger, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more did you expect? So <laughs> I love this story. So it's this funny thing, but it, but it does, when we say give us this day our daily bread, God may give you an opportunity to work or to, to, to gather or to do something to have your needs met. But if you don't do your part in, in gaining access to those opportunities and resources, you still may end up starving. 
So there's an aspect of gratitude and an aspect of personal commitment and responsibility. So we've got so far that as we pray, we check our hearts. As we praise God, we humble ourselves. As we ask for his kingdom and his will, we commit to being kingdom builders. As we ask God to meet our daily needs, we not only thank him for what we have, but we also commit to do our part to meet our daily needs. Let's continue into verse 12, which says, And forgive us our debts as we have also, as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's this idea of, of forgiving as we have been forgiven. So we ask first for forgiveness. God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me because I have sinned against you. Forgive me because I have sinned against so many people. It starts there. It gets, let's get right with God. That's the first thing. Let's get right with God. But then also it says, as we also, this is so interesting to me. It doesn't say as we also will forgive. It says as we also have forgiven. There's a past tense element to this as if like, it's, we're saying it as if like it's already been done. It's, it's water under the bridge. We're, we're, we're moving past it. So it's, again, it's this idea of getting right with God and then getting right with others as well. Um, to get right with God, there's this word called repentance. If you've never heard it in church circles, we generally define it as like a 180 turn. So I'm going from a direction of living life my way, selfishly, pridefully, arrogantly, and essentially a life of sin, essentially a life apart from God. And we turn, 180 turn, and we go to a life with God, living his way um, in his kingdom through his love and his his peace and his joy and a life that is that is described in the scriptures as an abundant life. So repentance is is the reconciliation of us with God that enables us to receive well, that we receive his forgiveness and that enables us to be reconciled with him. That we've been forgiven so much that we can then go and forgive little, right? Um, so uh, to, to kind of unpack this a little bit more, this idea of forgiveness, um, we could use the phrase making amends. If anyone's familiar with like the 12-step type programs like AA and NA and those kinds of things, step nine is to make direct, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. And I think this is such a helpful way to unpack forgiveness because when I think of forgiveness, what I think of is this, a reconciliation. I think I need to call this person and I need to schedule a time that we can sit down together and talk through what happened, and I can apologize face-to-face. -face. I don't really know where that came from, but in my brain, that's what reconciliation looks like. That's what it feels like. That's what happens. But that's not always the best option. That's not always the healthiest option. And honestly, that's not always the safest option. So sometimes you might have been in a situation where someone hurt you really bad, right? And to go and meet with them could expose you to further hurt. I don't think that Jesus wants us to do that. I think Jesus wants us to, you know, from the beginning, verses 5 through 8, it's all about the heart. Because it's not about whether or not you pray in front of other people. It's about what's in your heart. Why are you doing it? So I think a heart of forgiveness is what we're really driving at. So in-person forgiveness can be a thing. You go directly to someone and say, I'm sorry for what I did. Maybe writing a letter would be a safer option. And sometimes silence is the best option. Sometimes in your heart, knowing that you've forgiven that person is more than enough. Because instead of holding on, like you hurt me and I'm going to get my revenge on you. And I know, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to this resentment until the day I die and it's mine. So I'm going to hold it and you can't touch it and you can't get near it. It's letting go of that and saying, I don't, revenge is not owed to me. Resentment is not owed to me. I'm releasing that. God has forgiven me of so much. I'm going to forgive you of that. Um, 
And so a list of a couple things that they sort of suggest would be to make a list of harm or damage you've caused, be willing to repair it, admit your wrongdoings, figure out the best way to repair the damage, and be patient about gaining the other person's trust back. So what we're seeing is we've been forgiven a lot, and we're going to forgive a little. Because you'll never sin against me as much as I have sinned against God. It's impossible because I've been sinning against God since day one and will continue to do so till the day I die. There's absolutely no way even Krista, my wife, could sin against me as much as I've sinned against God. It is completely impossible. So the application of this is essentially it's as we've received forgiveness, we also extend forgiveness. As we receive forgiveness, we extend forgiveness. And we're going to continue into verse 13, which says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. If God is the king of our life, and we're building his kingdom, then he's also going to be our guide. So we're going to ask God for directions. We're going to ask God to lead us. We're going to ask God to guide us. And, and so I have a question. Does God want us to sin? No, right. Not at all. So if we say to God... Deliver us from evil, like kind of like saying to God, like, help us not sin. Lead us in a direction. It's kind of like saying, God, please lead us. I'm putting myself under your guidance and lead me in the direction that you want me to go in. Lead, I'm asking you to point me in the direction that you want me to go in. It'd be like my kid asking, hey, dad, can I give you a hug? Like, that's what I want, right? So if my kid asks for that, obviously I'm going to provide that because that's what I have a desire for. Saying, God, please help me flee from sin, that makes God's heart so happy because that's what he wants for us. That's the kind of life that he has a desire for for us. Um, another passage that, again, we unfortunately don't have time to get into the full details of this morning, but is Matthew chapter 4, um, which tells the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. So if you're taking notes and you want to write down Exodus 16 and Matthew chapter 4 and you want to dig into those passages this week, um, that would be an example or an idea of how to engage with God this week. Just look into his word and try to understand that and understand him and us and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, it's essentially saying like, God, you're my guide, you're my leader. Take me in the direction that I know you want me to go in. Take me in the direction that I know you want me to go in. You're the king, so you're the leader, so you're the guide, and I'm going to follow in the direction that I know you want me to go. So we've looked at um, we've looked at how God is is worthy of our engagement. That as we pray, we check our hearts. That as we praise God, we humble ourselves. As we ask for his kingdom and his will, we commit to be kingdom builders. As we ask God to meet our daily needs, we thank him for what we have and commit to do our part to meet our daily needs. As we receive forgiveness, we also extend forgiveness. And as we request deliverance from evil, we commit to pursue holiness. God is more than willing to deliver us from evil, but if we continue to, you know, like, don't go down the candy aisle if you know you're not supposed to be eating candy, right? Like, if you know you're, you're sinning in an area, cut that off and walk in it, repent, walk in a different direction. If you know that every time you go on your computer at nighttime, you go to websites you shouldn't be going to, repent of that. And instead of having your computer in your bedroom, put it in the living room where everybody can see it. So that gives you that, you know, flee from sin, pursue opportunities for holiness. 
We're going to continue in verses 14 and 15. These are the last couple verses that we'll cover for this morning. And if it was up to me, I would skip them because I am not a confrontational person. And oftentimes we think of Jesus as this like fluffy teacher, and in many ways he is, but he can also bring it pretty hot and heavy. So he says here, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That sounds really nice. Thank you for forgiveness. But... If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is really tricky because we believe in a, in a gospel of Jesus Christ that is fully steeped in grace. That Jesus died for our sins and that is our access to God and that is our access to heaven. It's not anything I did. It's not anything I could earn. It's not anything I can deserve. It's by grace and grace alone. So it almost seems like in conflict for Jesus to say, forgive others and you'll be forgiven. And if you don't, you won't. But what I see being displayed here is this. If we have been forgiven, ready, watch this, this much, okay? See, we, like if we've been forgiven at the cross this much, can I forgive this much? If I've been forgiven this much, then forgiving this much, anyone in my life sins against me, it's not as much as I've sinned against God that put Jesus on the cross. If, I can, if I've been given this much, I can extend this forgiveness. And to me, what I think Jesus is saying all the way back from verse 5, it's about your heart. It's not even about your actions. It's not about whether you pray in public or not, but why are you doing it? What's in your heart? It, to me, it's more about your heart of forgiveness. And if you can't extend this forgiveness... I think what Jesus is trying to say is like, then you don't, you don't get it yet. Like you're still trying to understand the, the fullness and the weight of grace on, from the cross that gives us forgiveness of everything. Because if you've received this and you're pursuing and building God's kingdom, then extending the small forgiveness each day to the people in our lives that hurt us, it really, in the grand scheme, isn't that hard. Like Jesus forgives this much. Can I forgive this much? So we've talked through how as we pray, we check our hearts. As we praise God, we humble ourselves. As we ask for his kingdom and his will, we commit to being kingdom builders. As we ask God to meet our daily need, we thank him for what we have and commit to do our part to meet our daily needs. As we receive forgiveness, we also extend forgiveness. As we request deliverance from evil, we commit to pursue holiness. So we've covered that God is worthy of our engagement. He is worthy and deserving of everything that we could possibly give to him. So our challenge for this week is simply this. Spend more time engaging with God. If you current, you know, my mom is amazing. Grammy Mo, if anybody knows her. Um, she wakes up every day at like 5 a.m. She's retired, but she wakes up at like 5 a.m. every day to get in the solid like two hours of worship, reading the Bible and prayer. I am not that disciplined. Um, so for her, from two hours, it might be, you know, also pray in the afternoon. For me, it might be wake up an extra 20 minutes early, make up an extra 30 minutes early, you know, like whatever it is, wherever your starting point is, God deserves more time and the relationship will thrive the more time that you give it. So some examples of time with God can include praying, and praying can be out loud. It can be to yourself in your mind. It can also be with others. Again, it's not about with others or not, but our heart should be to engage with God. Our heart should be, Lord, I desire you. I want you. I want to speak with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to be in relationship. 
Some people find a prayer journal to be helpful if that, that would be something that would help you um, stay focused and stay in a time of prayer. Uh, can also be reading the Bible, whether lead, reading or listening to chunks. If you have the Bible app, it's a free app, um, and you can go to any passage of Scripture. There's a little play button near the bottom. You hit play, and that will someone will read you the Bible. It could not be any easier than that. So instead of listening to trash radio on the way to work, just listen to somebody else read you the Bible. That's a step in the direction that we want to be going in. It's spending more time engaging with God. It could be meditating on small chunks of scripture. So read a small chunk and just sit in a, in a prayerful place of asking God to help you understand more and asking God to help you apply what, what he's calling you to. Um, it could be studying smaller chunks of scripture. You know, like we talked about Exodus 16 and Matthew 4. Maybe it's, you know, reading some commentary on those passages and trying to have a better understanding of what those are. It can be worship. It can be confession. It can be fasting. There are so many ways that we can engage with our holy God. And if we've learned anything this morning, I think it is that he's worth it. I think it is that he's worthy and deserving. And if we can stand together and sing one more song of praise.